This episode is brought to you by Redeemer University. Your university years are some of the most important in your life, and where you choose to study matters. Redeemer University, located just outside of Hamilton, Ontario, offers 35 different degree programs, all taught from a Christian perspective. A one-of-a-kind experience that weaves together faith and education, Redeemer prepares you for your future career and helps deepen your faith, all while building Christian friendships that last a lifetime. Learn more and apply when you visit redeemer.ca. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Real Talk. We are back with another roundup episode. I believe this is number seven and this is episode 80, which is uh, crazy. They keep flying by. Uh, on today's show, we have the regulars. So it'd be myself, Lucas Holfleur, Tyler Vanderbilt, of course. And as always, joining us on uh, roundups most often is our uh, good friend, John Dykstra, here to share his wisdom and wit, I'm sure. So today, uh, we're going to cover the last three episodes, uh, which is kind of a, a bit, bit more of a random assortment if you include the one that I just did with the, the fellows from OFAD. Uh, but we started off, we had episode 77. Uh, with Mark Denhalder, Ty hosted this one, and this was all about our Dutch Reformed history, which is I found quite interesting, and I'm kind of excited to to get into that with you guys. Then we had episode 78, Church Discipline Matters, uh, fancy little title there, I like that, uh, with, uh, of course, Reverend William Denhalder, and that was Ty hosting that one as well, talking all about church discipline, which again, was a nice, uh, yeah, I thought clarifying episode, and uh, just just good to have uh, Reverend Denhalder on to hear from his many years of experience. And then, uh, like I mentioned, episode 79 with the guys from Once for All Delivered, uh, also known as OFAD. Uh, there are a couple pastors down in the States, and I talked to them all about their podcast and what their interests are and what they cover, including Satanism, AI, and Sphere Sovereignty, as the title suggests. So um, that was a, a fun little conversation, and we'll get into those guys and, and introduce them a little more at the end of the show. And then finally, John's going to hit us with a couple movies uh, that he's liked so far in 2023 and give us a few thoughts on that. And you can check them out as well. So without further ado, that's been a lot of talking about me to start out the show. I will throw it over to Tyler, I think, and we'll start with episode 77, The Dutch Reformed. You hosted this one, Ty, obviously. Um, and what were your, yeah, what were your thoughts going into it? What were you trying to accomplish and were you happy with the episode and, and what did you learn? Uh, terrible episode. Uh, no, I was, <laughs> I really, I really like, I think this was one that we re- really wanted to talk about when we first started the podcast. It, I can't believe it's been like, what it was 70 something episodes before we got to it. Um, I, I think what I was, the goal was to understand, like we as kids, I think in elementary and in high school and stuff, we spend a lot of time with like uh, the Reformation, Luther, although we probably don't remember enough, like Luther and Calvin and and like John Huss, I remember, and like some of these Zwingli and some of these characters from the Reformation period, um, and then kind of moving into the Netherlands a little bit. Um, so that's kind of where we started the podcast. And then we don't, I don't really remember learning a lot about our Dutch history, which is like, I mean, some people are proud of it. Some people are, you know, ready to set it aside. And I think this episode kind of gave us reason to to cherish it or at least to know what's going on, what what happened and why Holland was important. Um, yeah, something I never really like knew before. And I mean, if I'm not like uh, like reading Dutch literature, or, like reading um, Inheritance Pre- Preserved is probably the best book on it. Um 
I just don't think we we, we know enough or, or learn enough or care enough about it. Um, just the history from the Netherlands, basically from the cannons of Dort kind of time in the 1500s through to today where we are. And then why we're who we are and why all the other denominations around us are who they are. So it was interesting to learn about that and learn about where some of the uh, uh, other reformed denominations, like say Michigan, um, where, where that group of Dutch reformed people came from too. It's kind of cool to see where everyone's kind of split off and it really like lent to frame a lot of the things we've talked about, even in the, in the CanRC URC relations episode, some of the issues that we talk about, um, this kind of framed it a little bit for like, well, where did that all come from? And why did we have all these arguments? And then why do we like feel feelings nowadays about issues that were from our past? Like, um, I think one of the, one of the funny ones is just the Psalms. We've talked about Psalms a lot. And, uh, Mark touched on that in that episode about like why we're so in the Dutch reformed, uh, world. We're so, um, protective of psalm singing and there's good reason for that it's just that you just don't know that until you go back and you just you kind of default to the older people in the congregation i think to to remember that history but it's good as young people too to you know and john to uh to go back and learn all that <laughs> wow john just catching the shrapnel there okay well yeah go ahead john do your your uh chance to yeah. there just uh, I grew up basically hating church history and it took me a long time to to be able to open up anything about it but just C.S. Lewis said I think for every uh every two books you read about today you should read at least one old one just to understand those kind of fights where they're coming from um I grew up with a whole bunch of Christian reformed relatives hung out in Christian reformed circles and I didn't know why they looked at me a certain way. They, they had this idea that um, we were all these fuddy-duddies. Um, we are the, the unloving sorts. And then I dig back into our church history and I find out that they're aligned with the church that kicked us out. They, they were the, you know, it, it, it blew my mind to find that out. Um, so I, I appreciated the overview too, just, just to get... Um, the pieces kind of slotting in. Um, I know a lot of this in bits and pieces because uh, having neglected my school studies, I've had to learn this since then um, by myself. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's quite a history. Uh, I think we often slide into this idea of uh, things are getting worse and worse, but it came up there that, that they had soldiers in people's houses at one point. And you realize, yeah, you know what? There's a lot of up and downs. Um, maybe we're even are in a bit of a down now, but um, they've seen things. Um, the church has struggled with with uh, greater matters than these. So it's an interesting sort of encouragement to realize um, <laughs> God's people have made it through worse. Uh, God has been faithful through uh, greater difficulties. So yeah, appreciate it a lot. Um, I'll make a pitch for for uh, the RP website. Um, if you look through church history, just search for church history. Um, Chris DeBoer's written a few interesting things. We've got a lot of um, biographies that are really helpful. If you ever want to learn, the, the reason I hated church history was we had the worst textbook. I don't even know who's by, but it was enough to drive off uh, 
a friend of mine uh, who's now a pastor has a has like a PhD doctorate. He also hated church history. He had to come back to that. Now he's a church history buff. Um, but biographies are a really fun way uh, to learn about how God's just dealt with people in the past. Um, so lots to plug there. Lot, lots to look through there. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. The, the other thing that stood out to me um, was I think you see a lot of it. Well, it was helpful, first of all, just to see uh, to frame the discussion, like you guys mentioned, and to see where other uh, reform denominations have popped up over the years. And OK, there's immigration is at play there and then various splits in the old world versus the new world sort of thing. Um, but it made me think like going forward in the future, uh, if how connected we all are now that probably i would say the geographical uh like splits and little areas where there was like okay we had a little reformate uh, mini reformation here or a split here and this church popped up and then you have another like very much aligned church in this area if we'll see more uh yeah like a larger body form over the years because like we talked about in the canter urc episode too like there's a there's a good appetite for uh to you know, people to get together and to uh and to kind of, I don't know if amalgamates the right word, but uh, yeah, to come together and to to put, to remove barriers, any barriers that are there that we can remove um, while still remaining faithful to to the various doctrines we do hold. So that was just an interesting thought I, I kind of had uh, going forward in the future to see if, uh, yeah, if more churches will kind of coalesce and come together as we are more connected. Because it like in some ways, John, like you mentioned, maybe it seems like, yeah, we're in a downtime in terms of the broader culture. Uh, and where we're at, at least in the West, but uh, you could make a reasonable argument that as far as like Reformed Church polity, uh, we're actually in a bit of a, a a moment of strength in terms of the unity we have across the various churches and, and Napark and whatever. We know we know where everyone kind of stands. And we we do know the differences, at least I would say those in, in leadership. Maybe the lay people, like you guys uh, mentioned, Ty, in that episode, we don't read as much about doctrine and and church history and whatnot. So we could do better to educate ourselves, but. I think we are somewhat, at least uh, in a moment of strength in terms of knowing who our Reformed brothers and sisters are across the continent. Yeah, that was definitely a takeaway, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. the um, Yeah, he, he mentioned that there were people like our grandparents and stuff who would come home from like, whatever, I don't know what kind of blue collar work, and work you do, but on sun Saturdays, Sundays, they'd be sitting down. I mean, they didn't have TV, so like, there's no distractions. But they would be sitting down and reading like Calvin's Institutes and they'd be reading like this heavy, dense stuff that like, I mean, whatever, we we talk about a, a lot of church issues. We have a podcast and I still don't do that stuff. And like it'd be it's still hard for me to read Clarion and or Reform Perspective, like through all the way cover to cover. Um, luckily, Reform Perspective hits my email, then it hits my coffee table. So I get mostly through that. But it's. It's like, are we really seeking out that information? And then, you know, I think we should probably, that's a good caution for us as young people. Like, really, we should be digging into this stuff because, you know, we've seen with, with COVID, stuff like this, like things happen in the world that we need to be ready to respond to. And if we stop reading and we stop caring and we have this, it's okay, we're just all Christians attitude, we're we're not going to be able to keep this this alive. So, but I also like, I mean, maybe the other side of the coin from what you were saying, Lucas, like, I think there's some, there's some people who get 
demoralized about where we where we are as a church or as federations like you know if you're not like not seeing that unifying like spirit in all your interactions like people see oh well we're just in a time of deformation and and don't worry it'll all come back around like because it does in history like that's just having a defeatist attitude about it i don't think is helpful either and just listening to this like listening through the episode will be like well here's why you don't have to be defeatist like i think you can there's really good action steps that we can you know as long as we keep talking about things and writing stuff and reading and like this doesn't have to be the trajectory of you know where we're gonna go yeah you need to have a love for history so that you can have an understanding of where um, these differences came from like we're talking about being more united now okay well if it's not going to be just sort of a paper a paper over unity where we're united because we just don't know the different we just we just don't know anything um we're gonna have to understand where people came from why the differences started just just historic things like why do we have a certain sort of sermon in our in our churches and they're a little bit different there is it because they're liberal or is it because you know in the canadian forum circles we reacted against really superficial preaching that had nothing to do with christ and was all about application to sermons that were all about christ and didn't have very much application and then if we go and see somebody over there that never had that battle and they're talking about Christ and they're talking about application, that doesn't mean they're liberal. That just means mm-hmm. they didn't have that fight over there. Right. So just to, just to know these things um, in their past, in our past, um, you know, battles over uh, creation are going on in all sorts of denominations. Well, are, are these guys, have they won their battle? Are they in the middle of their battle? what was their historic roots just things like that so Mm -hmm. we we really do have to dig past if we're going to be um truly united Mm -hmm. and it is like to your point ty i think it actually is fair to say it's harder to set aside time to just to read like to dedicate time to read today than it was 56 years ago which isn't an excuse because we have so much information at our fingertips so it's not like you couldn't read about it online or you know you can listen to like anything under the sun these days audiobooks podcasts whatever so we can certainly be informed, but uh, yeah, you have to definitely make an effort to, as you're saying, John, because it is so important. Um, okay, cool. Maybe we'll put a bow on that discussion because I could go on all day, but John's got a point. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm just going to add one more thing. I'll grant the more distractions, but I will say that the dry as dust textbook that I had has now been replaced by all sorts of books, all sorts of podcasts, all sorts of other ways that you can broach this that are accessible that are intriguing that have been written to 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 grab you so uh we kind of live in a golden age the the you know the grandparent farmer that we might have had who was going through uh calvin's institutes dude that guy was was amazing we have no excuse you know just put down the phone go go grab go grab something go listen to something yeah that's true i've uh well, like me and uh, a couple of my brothers, my dad have been reading through the institutes. Most of them have been actually reading it. I have a physical copy, but I've been listening to it on Audible. So it was something ridiculous, like 66 hours, but I got like 10 to go. And a lot of time I just do yard work and I listen to it. And as long as it's not anything too crazy, I can actually like follow along. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to read through it because it's like completely systematic, right? So you get a good feel for the time and I mean, a good chunk of it's just dunking on Catholics, which is amusing to listen to. But uh, 
Yeah. And if okay. Calvin, well, and if Calvin's too much, then you know RC Sproul's got his own, and it's you know uh, one tenth the size, and and has him reading it. So, yeah, there's there's tons of stuff out there for sure. Okay, uh, episode seventy eight. Uh, so church discipline, uh, Den Hollander. So this is uh, also a one that we've been. I mean, this has kind of been ties like baby for like the longest time trying to talk about this topic and uh <laughs> and it, i can't believe it took all the way to 78 but he finally finally got a good episode directed on on church discipline so i i personally found it quite refreshing to listen to this and to hear it just straight the straight goods on here's why we have church discipline this is how we think about the church the church family elders their place and whatnot and then also uh to do so in that spirit of love right like you sign up for this like in, in the sense that like you, you are part of the church, you have a standard, uh, elders are there to hold you to that standard. And it's in this whole spirit of brotherly love, not this top down, like this is our cult. This is our rules. Like we just love to be authoritarian. Uh, so yeah, I, I found it refreshing, like I say, and encouraging and, uh, yeah, it's a good system. You could see why it's one of the keys of the kingdom. He talked about that as well. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll flip it over to you, John, and then we'll give you the floor, Ty, to, to run with it after John. Yeah. Uh, Ty, you're, you're talking about having sort of a little bit of, maybe I'm characterizing it this way, just difficulties with this doctrine because it seemed um, unloving or just harsh. And uh, so I appreciated when when uh, Reverend Den Hollander talked about, have you ever been punished by your parents? But what, what struck me there too was, as a parent, and now I'm looking at it, a different way and saying have you ever punished your children like there's there's occasions where as parents you're you're punishing out of justice rather than maybe discipline and that's not that's not how it should be done but there are times where you're just like oh, child you need to be spanked for your good and your good only i don't even want to do it but i have to do it because i love you we're not going down this path anymore we're drawing a line pure pure love as i smack your behind you know, and and so to look at it from from a parent's perspective, see what the Lord's doing with discipline, um, it, it is a different a different look. Years ago, I had somebody um, in a pro life group. I was part of uh, just kind of tearfully tell the group about how she had driven her friend to the abortion clinic. She was one hundred percent pro life, but you know she couldn't let her friend go alone, and. Uh, that that was that was the thing it was like at some point you have to tell her in love i'm not going to go with you to that place i'm not going to take you to destruction so it's a loving thing to say no and she didn't understand that at the time um so it, it is it is something that troubled me this idea of discipline this idea of um a church just coming down on someone but as as a parent, I, I feel like I uh, appreciate it a lot more. I I've seen it work. Um, so, you know, God knows best. Um, but I really appreciated you going through that with uh, with Reverend Den Hollander. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I really. Yeah. Like Lucas said, like I've always I've kind of always wanted to talk about this. We've we've touched on it a few times uh, through other episodes and stuff that where it's kind of come up. But just, just really to like head, like just talk about it face on, like what, what the church 
you know, what is the role of discipline in the church and then the, the church leadership too. Um, yeah. To your point, John, like the, the comparison to the uh, like parental discipline is, was huge from in my mind too. I think it's, it's partly a cultural thing and it's partly like, it's just also a kind of a loving inclination, I think, to not punish your kids. Like you punish, like punishment is discipline, but discipline, um, like punishment can go further than, than like a loving discipline. So like kind of parting the two a little bit, but like understanding, like our, our confessions talk about discipline as a punishment, but also to understand that discipline was like, is coming from that loving place where as parents, we would all like recognize like this is biblical discipline, even if you don't, you know, meet that standard all the time. Um, I think that's kind of where the church leadership needs to be too. And, and also as lay people in the church to understand church leadership in that light, which is hard if they don't understand it in that light, or if, if you don't always see it like that, like if you're a kid being disciplined by your parent, you don't necessarily see that love. And maybe rightfully so, because it's not in love sometimes, but it's like, if we all understand that that's the ideal, then we can better understand like, like the Bible's model for, and God's model for discipline. So that, that's kind of like what I always wanted to kind of hammer with this and like really understand. And I think like, yeah, Reverend Van Hollander did a great job kind of laying that out. And whenever I asked, like, you notice whenever I ask a question, just a little bit like, yeah, but what about like this? He's like, no, 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 no. That's the wrong question. Like that is something that was like kind of important to me in, in this topic is like, I often with topics like this, you ask questions wrong because you're like, well, what about if I did this or what, what if, if the leader did that? And it's like, that's not the point. Like the, here's the point. Stop asking dumb questions. <laughs> so it's, yeah, that was, that was really good. And then the, yeah, the one thing that hit me was, uh, the the he he talked about the patience god had for israel in the desert and also looking at like what the timeline of that was like for hundreds of years or like tens of years hundreds of years god was patient with his people and in my mind i'm always like okay well like you fell into sin you're an unrepentant excommunicate him like it's like but the using the model of god's patience with israel in the church as leaders like elders being patient with the people in, in church like things take time to really heal and to and for somebody to like you may have need to experience things in your life that help bring you back on top of you know exhortation from an elder so like just understanding that and being like patient and loving while not also just being tolerant that's so that, that kind of really helped me like, okay, that's, this is kind of, yeah, the, the model that we should be following. Like, and yeah, so interesting thing about that too. I uh, interviewed him on a Thursday, I think, and I flew back to Ontario on Friday and he officiated a wedding for my cousin. I was in that wedding party on the Saturday. So I actually saw him the day after I recorded this with, with him. So that was pretty funny. I was uh, welcoming, welcoming him to, uh, the uh whatever the rehearsal or whatever it was uh the day after so we thought that was pretty funny so could have done it in person <laughs> small world crazy yeah. all right any any other thoughts john or go ahead yeah 
Well, I just, I, I wanted to bring it back to the parental aspect because you, you also brought up the idea of uh, withdrawal and um, the, the parent's analogy is applicable there too. I think in the past, um, my, my scope of things isn't too broad, but um, the, there's a saying, if you want to spank your kid, don't. And if you don't, maybe you got to get off your, your butt off the couch and, and, and go do what you need to do. But if you, if you um, want to discipline someone, there might be a real case where it's like, okay, wait a sec, you know, patience, all of that, right? Are you approaching this in love or is it just this guy's trouble and, and, and you've lost your patience? But in the past, there has been in, in some instances where people just frittered away. They, they, they just, you know, five years later, when they don't know anybody left in the church, they get excommunicated and it doesn't really mean anything to them anymore. Um, I, as far as I know, we're, we're uh, in a very different place these days, but that is something to watch out for. Um, the, the one question I would have for Reverend Denhalder was with, with withdrawals, because um, he said, how do you discipline someone who's not under your authority anymore? And my question for him would be, how do you take yourself out? How do you take yourself out? from under authority. If if my child can say, I've decided I'm not going to listen to you now, were they ever under my authority in the first place? If they can decide when and when not, they will be under my authority. I think that's something, you know, I, I stand to be corrected, but I think that's something where if you place yourself under authority, you're under authority. How do you withdraw that? Um, this is <laughs> this is a question that I've been asking for forever. I've just we asked we actually asked Dr. Witten this too at some point, but it was um um yeah, that was about the church order we were talking we were talking. Um and withdrawal. I think the one helpful thing that Reverend Dan Hollander said to that was um there yeah, kind of like the you're under the, the the leadership of the church but at some point the the leaders like you kind of get out of their jurisdiction a little bit but also like is there um oh shucks how did he say that not really is there a point but he said it's not wrong to necessarily excommunicate that person but is it really beneficial to like is are you are you doing anything when you excommunicate somebody who is just removing themselves from the church. Um, and in a way it's, you want to say it's like more humiliating them. It's not really, but it's like um, exercising the keys of the kingdom. It was a, what it always was in my mind. Like don't the keys of the kingdom still need to be exercised on this. Like if you're a parent too, like the child removes themselves from your like jurisdiction, like that's not really a thing. But at some point, a child can leave, and then what are you going to do? Like, so Heather, it, it it's still kind of conflicting in my mind. The one the one thing that he he kind of like when he led the discussion a little bit was, um, excommunicating the person is not really the point. Like the exercising the keys of the kingdom is not really the point. Which I always thought it it as a thing. Like we exercise the keys. But discipline 
in itself is the, the, the keys of the kingdom. Just like preaching is a key of the kingdom. It's not like the key of the kingdom is you being preached at. It's like the ongoing preaching is the key. And so that the ongoing discipline in the church is the key being exercised. So we see it, we feel it as lay people in the church, even when it's not us, we feel it if it is us. And then it's not really the the final act of excommunication that is the discipline. Like the discipline's the whole process and the whole oversight and mutual um mutual discipline. It's not necessarily like the excommunication where the discipline is like the key is actually like yeah, used. Right. So that kind of helped me a little bit. Like, so if you're withdrawing, you're not necessarily withdrawing and then a key of the kingdom needs to be exercised on you. It's, it's like you're withdrawing, but then it, yeah, you've experienced that key along the way. And this is kind of just where it ended. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's very hard to understand. You basically bring the key to bear upon yourself if you withdraw. Correct, right. Yeah. And then if, but like, it's still, yeah, I I agree with uh, bold opinion. I agree with Reverend Holder on this one. Like it's they can they can do it if they would like to, but it actually the only reason you would probably do it is just to send a message to the congregation saying like this is the final step of the process. We believe this process is important. Just so you know, like this this is what the person has done to themselves with withdrawing, right? Because if they ever do come back around and, and these stories do happen. Uh, they they are still subject to the process to get back into the church, which is obviously putting themselves back under that authority. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I it makes it makes sense to me. I mean, where it gets murky is like the whole like in the Canref uh, church where it's like we don't have uh how does that go again? If you want to go to a free reform church, you would basically have to withdraw to go to a free reform church. But if you go via the URC to the FRC then it's all, you know, it's all roses and there's no problem. So there's like some weird institutional loopholes that way, which I guess that's where it comes down to like a grace and a case by case situation. Um, but yeah, overall, I'd like this explanation. Yeah, uh, there, there's a, a little bit of a uh, idea of the final proclamation being being some uh, maybe magical element to it so long as you hold that off i mean people will withdraw to hold that off um and then there, this idea of it all being a process yes uh, very much and so then again it's not like we have to get those final words out the whole process has been has been part of it um but but i have i have heard people read it as as you were saying it lucas just that um, they've effectively excommunicated themselves and there is a certain clarity that comes with it being stated that way. Yeah. What the one thing that I found was the uh, like we, we have forms for excommunication, but we don't have form for withdrawal. Um, which yeah, I mean, obviously, you wouldn't have a form for that. Um, but if the announcements that get made, I think we have to be very careful with what we say. And I think he, uh, Reverend and Hollander, alluded to that too. Um, he he really emphasized the grace in it. Um, and my tendency is probably not to emphasize the grace in it, but um, the way that a, a withdrawal is announced, um, I've seen it done very well. And I think I've seen it done reasonably poorly in our churches. And I think it's like something that we really need to think about how we announce. Like 
is it do we view it as that excommunication especially when every everyone or many people in the congregation know the situation or we've prayed for the situation um especially if it's been gone going down the excommunication route and then say right before you excommunicate someone they withdraw like that announcement seems in my mind should be much different than if somebody yeah you know withdraws as a technicality because they're going to go to the frc where we're like you know two legal loopholes away from just sending your attestation so yeah it's uh I think, yeah, it's just a caution for people. I, I mean, I don't really have a solution, but I've seen it done really well. So, yeah. yeah. If, if, you, if we have an understanding, like if, if generally people have an understanding of what the process is and what it's for and how the key is actually operated, um, then I think those, the people giving the announcements, elders, obviously, would be able to do that well. And I, I think they do to a certain extent. But yeah, like you say, Ty, I'm sure it happens where, where it's not as, uh, as clear as to what the purpose of the process is and how withdrawals is delineated uh, from excommunication. Okay. Uh, I think we're good there. Probably beat that. The deep <laughs> yeah. Okay. Th this, this last one's a little easier. It's pretty, uh, it's more surfacey, just more fun. Um, the guys from OFAD, um, once for all delivered, uh, two pastors, like I mentioned, one from South Dakota and the other guy was from, Idaho, I believe, Idaho. if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. So two uh yeah, two interesting guys. They both were in seminary together at the same time. Uh one was uh OPC and the other was URC. Uh the one guy, yeah, he was like down in like a real small town in South Dakota too. And he grew up in Wyoming, which he had a funny Wyoming accent. So it was fun to talk to him to hear that as well. Uh but yeah, I I, I thought they're interesting guys. They got their start uh kind of covering uh Bovink which some of our listeners may know, some may not. It's kind of some heavier uh, theology uh, topics uh, with his writing. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure some uh, people are familiar with him. And uh, yeah, they've kind of branched out now to cover more and more topics, which we, we got into during the podcast as well, including Satanism, which they uh, seem to see everywhere they go, which I mean, honestly, there's there's some validity to it. Um, like John, you got a kick out of that. You want to you want to comment on these guys and, and what you thought? Yeah, I just I, basically the episode got me curious. So uh, I've already done a little bit of digging through their um, climate change episodes, and I'm going to enjoy. I think I think I'll really enjoy both of those. Um, and um, I'm I'm grateful that you you introduced us to them because uh, they had a number of episodes where I would just kind of congratulate them for their courage. You know, COVID. Uh, we've all had a shot at tackling it but it's always tough to to deal with they had to go with that as well um it was interesting to hear just sphere sovereignty explained um was that caleb who gave it uh yeah a bit of so. um it was very well done very uh illuminating so uh, i'd never heard of these guys before and and i look i look forward to checking them out you see you're gonna have to feature them on your uh your ongoing column and clarion so it's uh, true. Yeah. If, if if no one's checked that out, you know, that's a pitch for Clarion. I don't know if we're allowed to do that on Reform Perspective, but um, <laughs> go check out Lucas's ongoing uh, list of podcasts to check out. So, um, yeah, I I thought it was, yeah, like what you said, it was just, it's, it's like interesting to hear, hear these guys and then like a general overview of what they talked about. But like, yeah, I think they're very bold. They're very, uh, they're biblical and they just, they're okay standing up against like and saying things that like 
I'm listening to it. I listen to it on YouTube and I'm like, yeah, this is going to get taken down. Just like if we, if we actually had a platform where it was like, you know, millions of people, this would be gone so fast. So it's really good to hear that if, uh, you know, you might one day have to have a hard time finding them back, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably, uh, inspiring for us to maybe do a little bit more of that. Um, they did talk about, um, the way that they tackle, they want to tackle topics, which is interesting as, you know, a podcast host, you're like, Oh, I wonder how these guys think about it. And, um, really focusing in on like the, the application of our Christian life in the culture. So, and we've been, we've talked about that a lot as, uh, you know, in the background for our listeners, like we talk about how to, you know, what we want to tackle. And I mean, I like the church issues and things like that. And they, they said they kind of stay away from that because they don't like to get too pigeonholed into stuff like that, or they get really deep into theology, but they like to tackle. Yeah. Like the cultural issues and then like apply Christian principles to that. So I think it's, it's, yeah, I think that's going to be a cool podcast to go check out. So really appreciate them. Definitely. Well, that actually ties in super well with an upcoming podcast we have. I just finished reading <clears throat> this book, uh, Interpreting Your World, Five Senses for Engaging Theology and Culture by Justin Bailey from uh, Dork College there. Looks like this for anybody who's interested. Um, good book, all about exactly that, like uh, the application of our theology in culture. And also kind of like vice versa too, the culture and theology and how just the actual lived experience of like, this is what we say we believe. What do we actually do every day? How do these two merge? And then how do we think about that? And he kind of has like the title suggests five, five lenses for viewing that. So I found it to be a pretty interesting book. I hadn't done a ton of reading into this area before and I'm looking forward to our conversation. So stay tuned. That should come out, I don't know, probably in about a month's time or so for, for our listeners. Um, okay. So- Go ahead, sir. When, when you were talking to those guys, do you feel like they were like they're podcasting in America, which is like, I mean, they admitted there's like a million and five uh, reform podcasts and they were like, we can't keep up with everyone. Like there's like the Ali Best Stucky, like there's tons of people like this. But do you find that we got the short end of the stick in Canada? Like <laughs> I feel like they have they have so much to cover with such radical stuff like they're talking about satanism and like we just don't see that in canada like it's or it's not publicized in canada the same as in the states yeah we cover it from afar sometimes but like they're like yeah they talk about these movements it's like they're in their backyard all the time even though he's in idaho and you know yeah country whatever yeah i think uh i think there's plenty that goes on in canada we're just i think we just default we just assume that we're boring and there's nothing going on (laughs) And our just eyes, just like, we can't help it. We just look to the South and we're like, oh, what's happening here? It just sucks all of our attention. So I don't know. There's definitely, but yeah, there's for sure not as many reform podcasts. Like we couldn't think of one. And that's why we started this, at least for our like kind of niche area. So uh, yeah, whatever. Any other, any other thoughts on them, John, before we flip to your uh, movie reviews that are coming up? Yeah, no, I just say you can you can only help the people you know, right? And then, and then other people might benefit as well. But you gotta, you gotta focus in on someone. So, um, we're, we're all trying to help a particular demographic here in Canada that we are well acquainted with, and it's amazing. I don't know, I don't know what the numbers are for outside of Canada for you guys, but uh, our RP goes to um, just Canada, but the website is, you know, three quarters somewhere else. So. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we do like 10 to 15% of our audiences is uh, from outside of the country. 
but like probably 10% of that's American and then a couple of Aussies and which actually we do get some good feedback from Aussies. So shout out to uh, all of y'all down under that's uh, yeah. that's appreciated. Some, some dedicated and faithful listeners down there. Uh, okay. Finally, uh, to wrap up this, uh, this roundup episode, John's got a couple of his favorite movies from 2023 so far, which includes sound of freedom. At least it's on the list. We're going to discuss it. I don't know if yeah. John loved it or not, but uh, he'll give us his thoughts. So hot take coming up. Yeah, um, I, you guys said best of 2023, so um, that wasn't a couple. That's like a half dozen this year. There are just uh, all sorts of fun movies coming out, starting with, of course, um, Super Mario Brothers. Because, like, <laughs> you know, how can you not lead with that? Chris Pratt, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, has anybody escaped playing that game? So it, it was fun to go to that with my kids, but they actually didn't even know. We we don't have a Nintendo in the house. So I had to like play them videos of other people playing Nintendo to get them acquainted with like what this was. That's what kids do these days. They Uh, watch videos of people opening toys up and stuff. Yeah. Do you guys know Studio C? Have you run across them? Yeah. I've heard of them before. Yep. Kid comedy. So they had some, they had some super Mario brothers kids, but yeah, that was a fun and, and relatively uh, innocent uh, play uh, or movie with uh, a lot of comic violence. So you might not want to have your, very youngest kids with you but um the good guys win the the skeletal weird creatures lose so uh longer review available at reform perspective um but more in keeping with uh maybe what was expected there have been some pretty impressive uh and and helpful films uh the sequel to is genesis history um that came out a couple years ago a documentary called Mountains After the Flood. And this is just a, a bunch of creation scientists looking at the Grand Canyon and other uh, exposed strata around the world, uh, investigating why there are giant folds through the strata. Um, and this strata is supposed to have formed over hundreds of thousands of years. So if it bent after it was formed, why isn't it cracked? And so they're effectively looking at this and saying, this is really compelling evidence for the flood. Laid down in the flood, bent in the cataclysmic uh, occurrences going on at the time, and, um, and, and bent while it was still soft at that time. So it's a bit of a technical movie, more so than is Genesis history. But it's, uh, for, for someone who's got interest in that area, it'll, it'll, it'll feed them. Um, and it's just important. They're trying to also show the rigor of creation scientists. These guys are doing real science. So um, not a movie for kids, but a movie that a lot of adults could appreciate. Um, yeah, cool. I went and saw, yeah, I'm running through this, but I went and saw The Hiding Place, a 2023 version of Corey Ten Boom's story. And it's a filmed uh, stage play, which sounds really boring, but it was incredibly compelling um oscar-winning performances this this it'll knock your socks off i went with my 11 year old there are a few scenes where i basically covered her eyes because uh it's a stage play i thought it wouldn't be nearly you know there wasn't going to be anything too gory in a stage play but there were a, a few really emotional um scenes that uh just just one guy effectively being tortured but he's not but he quivers so he just the passion on his face it's just too much okay 
but I mentioned that I brought my 11 year old because she, she was blown away. She doesn't know anything about this, um, this period of time to see it uh, up close and personal. It's still in theaters. It's uh, here and there across Canada. Um, I, I was wondering if they might've taken God's name in vain a couple times uh, because I was watching in a theater. I couldn't really rewind it, but it is a film that's all about glorifying God um, God is the star of this. Um, there's a 1973 uh, Hiding Place movie as well. And in that one, God is also the star, but Corey is kind of uh, highlighted. In this one, Corey is actually presented as, as kind of the grudging uh, accomplice of her dad and her sister, who are just uh, almost unworldly. Like we, we can't, how could anybody be that holy? Um, and then Corey is more like us, where it's like she, she's wondering why is God doing this to them? And and her sister is helping her through it. So uh, incredibly compelling play. And if you can watch it streaming or in theaters, awesome. Um, Sound of Fury. Uh, both of you guys <laughs> haven't seen it yet, but you should. Um, everybody's talking about it. It's Sound a true story. Sound of Freedom. Some sound of freedom, right? You know what? I call the sound of fury like a thousand times. That is not what it's called. Sound of freedom. Okay. Um, true story of Tim Ballard. Um, he is actually a former Homeland Security agent who was uh, fighting pornographers, but basically wanted was challenged. What about the kids themselves? So he kind of went rogue with a little bit of the permission of his boss, his boss covering his butt. Um, to go outside of the U.S. and and do an underground undercover operation to to free these guys, absolutely insane man. If you're if like you can't imagine what his wife like the risks this guy took. At one point, he's like taking on an entire army by himself, and um, yeah, I, I I I can't believe that it's true, but um, he's Mormon. He's being played by a Roman Catholic. The explicitly um, faith element of this is fairly low for both of those reasons. Um, this is meant for a broadly conservative audience. Where it gets a little bit odd in my mind is after you see this, you learn about sex trafficking of kids and all this, you're left wondering, well, what can I do? And the film kind of says, well, you could get more people to watch the film, um, which isn't the most, uh, uh, I don't know, the most helpful. So uh, I went and talked to uh, Theo Lauder, who has worked with Servants Anonymous, a group in BC and and, and other places, but essayfoundation.com that works to get people out of the sex trade. So just if you go to this and you see this, um, and you want to do something those are the sorts of things that you might be able to to put some hands on um the, the only other thing i'd add to that is uh, a lot of people left this absolutely freaked out that somebody's going to be stealing their kid uh you know instantly most of this is done through people who know people like they're going to sidle up to to kids that they know so if you're you, you don't have to worry about random um, drive by, seize, you know, grab your kid and go. Um, a lot of parents were were 
really freaked out by this movie and i understand why but um it, it's not quite that and do we got time for one more sure one more always um john MacArthur put out a movie and um john MacArthur is best known for being one of the few pastors to keep his church mostly open briefly closed during um covid lockdowns he is also uh remarkably a pastor who thinks the american revolution was sinful a uh, sinful rebellion and that it should never have happened so among american pastors i thought it was rather astonishing that like the one american pastor who thinks the american revolution was sinful was also the pastor who said to the government go away we're going to do the opposite of what you say so i wanted to see this film quite badly um went and checked it out and essentially it's his apologetic it it was uh it, it was really well done they kind of sidestep the idea of masks they mention it sometimes they they mention james coates um they they touch on some other things but mostly it was just in reference to the lockdown itself and um he makes he makes a compelling case he's he's trying to tell us that um the hypocrisy of government officials kind of gave them clues as to how serious the uh, the pandemic really was these guys are telling them to do one thing and we're doing another themselves um the, the, at one point they had the blm stuff going on if you guys remember this they're letting the riots happen so you could go on you could go and burn something down without a mask um, you can go get in a big group that way. Well, some of the first people to to come to MacArthur's church, he's preaching out there in front of it uh, at the front and people just started coming and they didn't lock the doors. So he was basically live streaming, but just more and more each Sunday, more and more people came. Well, among the first people to come were the police. And they weren't coming to shut them down. They're coming because BLM had them utterly crushed. These people were spitting on them. People were throwing stuff at them. People were telling them defund them. And there are just Christian police officers who are just, they couldn't go anywhere else to hear God's word preached. They went to John MacArthur's church, not to shut it down, but to be fed. So, um, wow. Wow. that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, quite a movie i hope to i hope to have some kind of group night and uh discuss it i think he he took a little bit of the easy way out to to sidestep masks because that would be a more complicated one but um he's essentially de delivering an apologetic for why his church stayed open i think that's probably like an important exercise honestly because as much as we all want to put all this, all these things behind us, like it's like dealing with these issues, right? And you know, the, the next time it happens, we don't want to be that guy, but um, like, yeah, it's, it's good to know what we think about it. And I think a lot of us made it through this whole shenanigan and didn't um, necessarily come to a, this is what I would do next time um, kind of conclusion. So I know whether we just thought we were right the whole time or whatever, but I mean, yeah, it's definitely something that's worth going to tackle. Yeah, and, and I do. I do think one of the big walkaways that we need to take to prepare us for next time is there are so many things we didn't know, but then governmental hypocrisy is not just outrageous; it's informative. Um, if they think 
that everyone needs to wear a mask, but they don't. Those are the guys who supposedly know more than us. Um, then, then we can learn something from that. Then it's not really about um, how bad, the, how bad the pandemic is. It's about something else because it, because it clearly isn't enough to impact how they are going to live their lives. So guys who walked up to the podium, put on their mask. Now, you know, Joe Biden just had this too. He just uh, got tested positive for, for uh, COVID and he was joking to the media to not let everybody know that he had walked into the room without his mask. Well, either, either you need to wear your mask, or you don't. And if you're not, then clearly you don't think it's something that should be uh, enforced on you. So I can take something from that. I can learn that. And, and where I'm going with this, I'm trying to bring this around a little bit quicker. Where I'm going with this is if it, if it had been the common cold and they had told us to lock down, what would we have all have done? Would anybody have locked down? No. no. <laughs> and if it had been Ebola, would we have we locked lock down? Ourselves in. We would all lock down. So yeah. a very big part of determining whether we should listen to the government was an evaluation of what the pandemic really was. And so that's where getting information, not just from what they're saying, but God says, too, that we can judge people by their actions. If their actions don't match their words, it is their actions that tell us who they really are. Um, mm -hmm. So that that's where I think uh, hypocrisy is is something to really be watching for. It's informative. Totally. Yeah. I, I'll I just, check that one out. Yeah, I, I would like to watch. I, I went on the website the other day and they uh, you can it's still in theaters. I think mostly in, in the States. I don't know if it's in Canada. You can pre-order like DVD, whatever. And apparently it's coming to streaming, but that's like later this fall. So we'll kind of see about that. Yeah, it's still, it was supposed to be out August 31 on streaming, but it's not. And I think that must be because it's doing pretty good. Yeah, makes sense. That's good. He's in yeah. California, right? So, like, does California even let you stream that? <laughs> They're restrictive there, but yes, they can still use the internet. Oh, okay. That's good for now. Yes, for now. Right on. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of today's roundup episode. Like, I don't know how long we went, but probably under an hour, so not too, too shabby, but I think we got into it. We had some good discussions about the last three episodes. It's uh, good to chat again with John, especially after uh, after kind of summer away from from not seeing you too much. So, thanks for joining us, John. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, until next time, as always, feel free to reach out if you've got any questions, comments, concerns. Um, all the contact info is in the description below. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Real Talk. Till then. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.